Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You may recognize the voice of my guest on this week's show from her role as the angsty tween girl Jessie on the Netflix animated series Big Mouth. But she is so much more than that. Guys have said to me, you know, Jesse, part of what makes you so pretty is you have no idea how pretty you are. And then they're just like, enjoy. <laughs> and I'm like, that is not nice. You know, that is like at best, that's like a backhanded compliment. And at worst, that's just like a forehanded insult because <laughs> I know that what that sentence really means is part of what makes you so pretty is that your self-esteem is so low it's easier for me to f*** you. <laughs> this is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast and that was how Jessie Klein introduced herself to the world in her 2011 Comedy Central stand-up special. Jessie may not be the most famous comedian we've had on this podcast, but she is among the most influential comedy voices of the past two decades. After helping to develop shows like Strangers with Candy and Chappelle's show as a behind-the-scenes executive at Comedy Central, Jessie went on to a prolific writing career of her own, including a one-year stint at Saturday Night Live before taking on the role of head writer for Inside Amy Schumer. Now, in addition to her incredible voice work on Big Mouth, which just got picked up for a seventh season, Jessie is the showrunner of I Love That For You, a new Showtime series co-created by and starring SNL's Vanessa Bayer. Here's a clip from the new show in which Bayer, who has just landed her dream job at a QVC-like home shopping network, runs into her childhood hero, played by fellow SNL alum Molly Shannon. I'm Jackie. I know who you are. I'm so fun to see your face and body and to meet you in the person. Aw. And I wanted to say I didn't mean to act weird about training you. I'm just going through some junks. Oh. Don't take it personally. No, not at all. It's it's like insane that you'd be training me. I mean, you're, you're like the best host in the history of SVN. What? No, I'm not. Come on. What makes you say that? Oh. So many reasons. Really? Like, what reasons? I want to hear. You're like, you're so pretty. Um, you're so smart. You know, you're Jackie. I've been watching you forever. I mean, kind of idolize you. Sorry. I, I can ask if someone else can train me. It's like insane that you would train me. You know what? For you, I'm going to do it. Oh. I got a lot of great pointers. And as you know, I'm really good at this. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle, Joanne. <laughs> it's Joanna. This was one of the most fun conversations I've had on the podcast in a while, so please stick around. Here is me with Jesse Klein. Thanks, Jesse, for doing this. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you about, but I feel like I have to start with the fact that by telling you that I was a semi-regular at Punch Up Your Life, uh, the show you did with Pete Holmes in New York years and years ago, 
um because i lived right right around there and um and really loved that show and saw so many incredible comics come through there at the housing works that's um, so fun housing works is such a great place yeah i don't even remember if it was was it free or was it like it was like five dollars or something but it was whatever it was it was what i could afford at that time and it was whatever fantastic. it was i guarantee no profit was made so yeah. i think it i think it was fully free <laughs> yeah but there were so many great comics i remember seeing uh zach galifianakis for the first time there um, oh wow and, yeah. yeah and just i mean and it was fun to see you and, and pete holmes hosting and oh my god um, so yeah i just i, I just love thought that i should tell you that i know i love knowing that do you still wait are you still in new york no i used to live in new york and now i'm in la oh you're in la like yeah like you yeah <laughs> here we are in our um, la homes but yeah i thought we could kind of start by you know going back to those days um and sort of where you were in your in your comedy life um when you were doing that show oh my gosh i'm trying to remember <laughs> really a tell at how old you are when you're like mm, fully blanked it out um gosh i guess that was probably around i had lived in la for a bit and moved back oh okay so i think this was like around 2009 or so maybe yeah that sounds right yeah and i think i also trying to remember i think like i i was like in between having left la and then I think maybe I was like in between starting at SNL for a season. Someone needs to fact check my yeah. life. <laughs> These <laughs> well, could yeah, all we'll be lies. Out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to remember the timeline of it. But yeah, I remember I had just, I think I had just moved back to New York after being in LA for a little chunk. And were you in LA when you worked? Because so one really interesting thing about your story, which people may or may not know, is that you actually worked at Comedy Central before you worked on you know, Comedy Central yes. behind the scenes, um, but you were working in development. Was that in LA that you were doing that or? No, that was in New York. Oh, that okay. was like my first um, real job out of college after a couple of, I mean, the other jobs were also real. They weren't <laughs> imaginary, but um, <laughs> it was no, kind of I, show business uh, adjacent. Um, I graduated from college and I worked for a while at um a video store that I had worked at, uh, the dearly departed Allen's Alley in Chelsea. Oh, nice. It was really a great legendary video store. I worked there in the summers of college and then I graduated from school. Didn't know what I was going to do. Knew I loved comedy, but this was also again, old pre kind of like real internet comedy, what exists now. So then went like video store to working at, um, <laughs> to, um, Bette Midler's, um, like clean up the guard, like clean up the gardens and public spaces of New York, um, nonprofit as an office manager <laughs> where I realized I was really bad at managing an office. And then <laughs> I started temping and I temped, I, um, temped my way into comedy central and just happened to tempt my way into the development department there. And this was like 1998, mm -hmm. uh, 1998, yeah, so kind of, a of, of comedy central, right? Well, it was like the beginning of a big heyday. Cause it was right when South park was like exploding and getting like truly at the time, like crazy numbers mm -hmm. for, you know, a network that prior to that was like airing a lot of Benny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but also a ton of stand up, which was like how I really, I mean, I loved watching all those stand-up specials. So yes, I, I ended up working as an assistant in the development department um, and then stayed and rose through the ranks is such a weird word, but I was there for seven years and it was kind of like going to comedy college. I learned so much and just was so lucky to work with like an incredible murderer's row of um, 
people. What were, what were some of the other shows that you actually worked closely on in, in that time? I mean, the first ones I was like working on Strangers with Candy with Amy wow. Sedaris and Stephen Colbert. You may have heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but who were not, you know. Yeah. No one really knew who they were then. Yeah. No, nobody did. Um, or very few people did. I worked on Upright Citizens Brigade, was becoming a sketch show. So, you know, Amy Poehler and Matt Besser and Matt Walsh. Um, and, uh, and Ian were all coming through the office as kind of unknowns. Um, I worked while I was there on Chappelle's show. I worked on Dave, David Tell's Insomniac. It was really great. It was just such an incredibly, just like such a stroke of luck, like very life-changing to end up there. I saw on your IMDb that one of your earliest on-screen credits was on Chappelle's show. Was that yeah. while you were, but it was while you were working there? Yes. Oh my God. I love that you checked IMDb. Always, <laughs> always like the most accurate reflection yeah. of a person's career. Um, <laughs> although I actually think mine is kind of accurate. Yeah. We, yeah. um, Dave, um, Dave Chappelle threw us into a sketch where we essentially played ourselves, <laughs> myself and my boss. I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. What? Why not? I'm burnt out, Lou. I got a family, man. I'm working 20-hour days every day. I ain't making no money. Mr. Hanky makes more than me. Dave, you signed a contract for two seasons, and I don't know if you've read USA Today, but we expect you back for a third. Oh, oh, really? Really? Expect me back, huh? Well, guess what? Expect this. My resignation, effective immediately. I quit! Suit yourself, Dave. You've already shot all of your sketches. At this point in the season, you're replaceable. <laughs> replace me? You gonna replace me? Dave Chappelle of Chappelle Show? I like to see that. That must have been a little strange. Um, I mean, part of why I didn't want to be a development executive anymore um, and not, you know, and I think an amazing development executive is an amazing de- development executive and there are bad ones and there are great ones. Um but I kind of felt at the time, like, I always feel like when I'm like, I worked on Chappelle's show, I don't want to overstate like my you role. You were writing, yeah. No, you know, Dave is a, and Neil Brennan, they're both geniuses and they, yeah. uh, you know, but I happened, it was just an amazing thing to kind of witness the process and occasionally chime in something that didn't really make it. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I never, it's, I think I, yeah, part of why I ultimately after seven years was ready to leave is I just wanted to kind of. I knew I just wanted to be more a fully creative writer, performer, person. And um, what what were your big goals when you were, you know, deciding to leave? Was it stand up? Was it writing? Because um, you've done, you know, a lot of both. But where were you sort of thinking you wanted to go? Um, I I don't think I ever really imagined I was someone who would like really be committed to doing stand up. Um, just because. I mean, I love doing stand-up and it was such a formative part of my creative experience, but the the like full tilt in your molecules necessity to be like so in it on the road and out every night, that version of it, I just, I didn't have in me. I don't think I was like truly, not to put myself down, I think I was fine. I don't think I was, I think I could, I mean could have been a contender. <laughs> I don't you know, I just never committed to it as deeply as you needed to. And I, I, I love doing it, but I think the writing path I felt like was, oh, I could kind of picture making a living at this. Although I don't want to overstate that either, because I remember seeing an interview with Larry David many years ago, where he talked about even 
you know, years and years and years into Seinfeld, he would still walk down the street in New York City and be like, I guess if I'm homeless, I could live in that box. <laughs> That's a good vent. I would like live over there. And I'm very much still. Yeah, you feel that way too. And yeah, a hundred percent. Um, what you're saying kind of reminds me of what, um, you know, Judd Apatow has said uh, to me on this podcast and elsewhere where he was, you know, coming up as a stand up and he was looking around and his friends were like Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler. And he was like, well, I'm not as good as good them. As so I don't know. <laughs> and I think maybe he was just unlucky to have such a successful friend. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Judd's not a funny enough guy, but yeah, I think I remember hearing Judd's, Judd Apatow say that. Um, yeah. I mean, I do look around. It It is you kind of think about it's, I do really remember, I think hearing that interview and now, I mean, I did feel like at the time when I was preferring, like, there's a lot of very, very funny people around me and people I'm doing shows with. And like, those people were like Nick Kroll and Ali Wong. And <laughs> I mean, too many other incredible people to name. I mean, Zach Galifianakis, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's like a generation of people where you're, you just realize, Oh, I was so I can't believe I was like on the same shows as these people. Um, you did ultimately get a, a special on Comedy Central, though. That was uh, pretty exciting. I did. Yeah. I'm very happy that I kind of it felt like, you know, I got like that opportunity to kind of put out like the stuff. I mean, I haven't seen it in years. I think I'd probably crawl right under the carpet <laughs> if I were to watch it now. But it was like, I mean, yeah, I did love doing stand up and like I kind of would love to do it again one day. It just hasn't it's I've I've been a little busy with other stuff. Yeah. Um was there a moment where you kind of veered in the writing direction and and what was that first job that you got um in a writers room? Um well, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it was um my very first right real writing job was on the Showbiz show with David Spade. One of David um, Spade's many shows. I feel like he's had a lot of shows. <laughs> he's had a lot of shows. Um, and uh, yeah, I got this one um, and had, you know, <laughs> it was really funny. I mean, I David was really lovely to me and was really makes me laugh. Um, and so it was like a good experience. I do remember at this, we were working at some... So that's when I moved to LA for the first time. I did, hung on to my New York City apartment as everyone should always do until they can't possibly anymore. Yeah. But um, I went out to LA to do that. It was like a three or four month gig. And <laughs> we were working on a lot where like uh, right when we were starting up, this other like kid show was starting up and like we would sort of be walking past the kid show office and we were all kind of like not making fun of it to be jerks, <laughs> but we were like, what is this kid show? Like, no. Yeah. Oh, we're working on the big hit. What's this stupid? I don't know. Some Disney show. And that show was just increasingly like huge crowds of like literally hundreds of people were coming. And that show was Hannah Montana yeah, with a little, a little gal we now know as Miley Cyrus. And then our show, I think, lasted like two seasons and a half yeah, or something. Oof, yeah. <laughs> but it was a great, I mean, it was, it was a first job. Yeah. And did you learn a lot about what that takes to write on a, cause that was sort of more of a late night e style show or. Yeah. It was a little bit of a combo. It was like a kind of late night talk variety, but like not, not nightly once a week, which is yeah. way easier. <laughs> um, but you know, just any job like that, that you, your first job writing or I, I guess doing anything is always just like a, holy shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I learned a ton. I learned a ton, sometimes what not to do, but other things what to do. Did that 
lead to SNL somehow, or did that, or were there something in between or? Um, yeah, there were a few things in between. I went from that show to, uh, I got like my first like scripted narrative job after this. Again, you'll have to check my IMDb. Yeah, I'll go back to IMDb, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, so like really keeping track. Uh, it was a, uh, a single camera sitcom, again, with a true murderer's row of people um, called Samantha Who, oh, starring... Yeah. It was a little bit of a goof of a plot, but it had Christina Applegate and Gene Smart and Melissa McCarthy and Kevin Dunn, like, all, and you know, Melissa McCarthy pre-Bridesmaids. Gene Smart, certainly much of a long career before, but has winning Emmy after Emmy again now, as she absolutely should. And Christina, the most brilliant brilliant ever and um yeah and it was um yeah it was a show where she played someone who got amnesia <laughs> yes there's so much comedy there i mean so much to work with you know what anything that has those people in it it was actually a very sweet cute show um and i again learned learned a ton and met people i'm still friends with which is kind of one of the most important things about like i feel like comedy writing jobs you just no matter what the job is you like collect friends along the way that you'll have for the rest of your life and then with SNL, did you audition to be in the cast and get hired oh, as a no. writer? Because that seems to be a lot of people. That's the path that they take is they sort of end up becoming a writer almost um, inadvertently. But how did how did it happen for you? Definitely not. <laughs> was not audition. No, no, no interest on either side. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly when I was 10, I would I mean, I grew up obsessed, obsessed with SNL. Um, yeah. yeah after after some I mean standard standard obsession um yeah i left samantha who uh and then moved back to new york because i just i'm a new york city gal couldn't take it anymore (laughs) couldn't take it anymore well not samantha who specifically but just i really miss new york and that's where i grew up and my family's there and uh like i said held on to my apartment as if one if anybody gets anything out of this (laughs) podcast always hang on to your apartment in New York. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And then I, uh, I was back in New York and gosh, I think I did a little bit of time on, uh, Michael and Michael have issues with Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter, who will probably come up again in this interview. Um, which was, and that was a show where it was just two writers and it was, so it was me and Kumail Nanjiani. Wow. With a, in a little room <laughs> with our desk pushed together. That sounds uh, fun. It was insanely fun. Um, yeah, again, a, a, a young Kumail, um, just the best. Yeah. The best. You kind of you kind of hit everyone before they blow up. Is that your specialty? That's why I was. Yeah, I loved. I love to just like say I was. I I saw them first. Um, yeah, and then I think after that I went to SNL. Um, I know you've you've talked a little bit about how it was maybe not the the best fit for you or not the best experience. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious what that was like because it is such a dream job kind of thing, and it's something you know, as you said, you grew up obsessed with, and then you're there. Yeah. And maybe it's not what you expected, or maybe you did expect it to be that, I don't know. But, um, what was that like for you to, to sort of be faced with the reality of this thing? Yeah. I mean, I was kind of, I was like a little older than some of the people that get hired to write. Like I was, I'm trying to remember, I think I was in my mid thirties at that time. And, um, I knew just enough already. Cause I'd now had a few friends who'd cycled through SNL to know that it was very hard. And to kind of have like 
not just have my only idea about what it was like to be from just loving watching the show. <laughs> and and I had also had enough other jobs. I think it's just very much, there's really something, especially as a writer, to kind of having it be like your first or second job because you don't have any other standard by which to measure like what's being asked of you in some ways. Um, and again, none of this is to denigrate SNL because I'm so honored I got to do it. I'm so glad I did it. Um, but I, I really wasn't very good at it. I mean, I, I really kind of tanked it every week. I, I pretty much tanked it. I'm not emotionally cut out for it or even physically. Like at this point in my life, I really am like such a, I'm like, a. I can't stay up late, which was something I discovered. Which you, you need to do there, apparently. You really yeah. need to be able to stay up late. Um, and I realized, like, oh, I'm I'm hitting a wall at about 10, 15. <laughs> and people write on writing nights, like, write till yeah. 5 in the morning. All there, so long, yeah. Yeah, all night long. And it just isn't how I work well. Like, I just yeah. don't my brain. It just... I was really struggling there, but I don't want to make it seem like I'm making that my only excuse. Like if I had just had more normal hours, it would be better. It just, yeah, I kind of started a little late too. Like I didn't get hired when the season began. Like they hired me a month or two in. Kind of starting from behind, right? It started a little from behind. You kind of really need to be able to like team up a bit with other newbies. And I just, I now in hindsight with other things behind me know that I... I really love writing in like a real like collective environment with people. Like I later like working on Inside Amy Schumer, like and running that room, I was just so into this idea that like everyone can just bring the most half-baked, quarter-baked idea to the table and we'll just kind of all do it together to find the idea. As opposed to a competition. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, but again, I, there's just so many brilliant people who get there and thrive in that environment, even if it's hard or even if they don't like it, it just wasn't, I just like, I, I, I couldn't quite get a rhythm of it. And I think I, at the end of the season, if there's like a pass fail grade, I think I probably, I think I was a pass. <laughs> or so I like to tell myself. And if anyone, yeah. Seth Myers or anybody's listening and knows that I was a fail, <laughs> don't tell me. You don't want to know. I don't want to know. Was there any, um, you know, sketch that you got on the show that you were particularly proud of? I think I got honestly like truly one or two sketches on. I mean, in terms of things that I think I got several, several things went to dress rehearsal, you know, which then you get cut. You see if it goes well in front of the live audience. Um, my big, my big hit was um, when Tina Fey hosted. I wrote this little commercial parody called Brownie Husband, and that I remember that one. That was great. That was a success. <laughs> You've had a long day. It's not easy being the perfect boss, the perfect best friend, the perfect aunt. But when you're done, who's there for you? Duncan Hines, that's who. With our newest indulgence specifically designed for the single woman. Introducing Brownie Husband, our very first companion dessert. In just 90 seconds, Brownie Husband bakes into a delicious partner just for you. A luxurious temptation that's only 120 calories per serving. Made of sumptuous Belgian fudge, Brownie Husband can satisfy all your cravings. The ones in your mouth? You taste so good. And your soul. And, and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I did my time on SNL and I'm glad I got Brownie Husband. Like, you know, 
you well, have in a these lot of things. ways that that feels like a sketch that could have lived on inside Amy Schumer. Um, oh, I think that's that's why. Yeah, I found my little space with Tina. Did you have a very different experience on that show um, in terms of you know you said it was it was more collaborative or would it, it felt more for you in a way? Well, yeah. I mean, I again, I don't want to say SNL. I don't want to judge SNL at all because the people who are on it are collaborating very well together. But just for you? For me, yeah. I think it was like, you know, Amy and I met doing stand-up. And when she wanted to do the show or had gotten this pilot opportunity from Comedy Central, like, reached out to me and we sat together and had some drinks. And we just, like, the things we wanted that we talked about in our stand-up, even though stylistically we're a little different. And um, I certainly, I mean, Amy's such an incredible stand-up, so I'm not putting myself on a level with her, but our topics kind of aligned in terms of um, sort of talking about, like, the female experience. And so there was just a really nice, like, Venn diagram between us of what we wanted to talk about. And then we hired a pretty small room and, um, and yeah, getting to kind of run it along with Amy and our, our other delightful work husband, Dan Powell, who was the other EP and showrunner on it. Uh, it was just so fun to do. It just, and it always just felt like, you know, the things that were like weird and funny to me were like really in the strike zone of, of the show. And so <laughs> we would just sort of get to do them all. Coming up, Jesse shares the story behind one of the most iconic sketches she ever wrote for Inside Amy Schumer. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my conversations with some of Jesse Klein's Big Mouth co-stars like Nick Kroll, Jason Manzukis, Pamela Adlon, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Jesse Klein. It's funny you mentioned, you know, writing for Tina Fey as host of SNL, because, you know, the, the sketch that I always think about is the last fuckable day sketch, which has just seemed like such an achievement um, at the time yeah. and now to get those actresses together with Amy for that sketch. Um, and I know you were uh, instrumental in that as well. So can you talk about the idea behind that and how you pulled it yeah, off? Yeah. Yeah. 
that took a, yeah, I think I had that idea the first or second season. Um, and it just was, it just, the casting of it just seemed like kind of impossible in some way. I think we were also, and I think that, so that came out of, I was still like really a a pretty committed us weekly reader at the time. Like I really loved (laughs) reading my like shitty little rags. Um, and yeah, just like being very obsessed with pop culture world and just like kind of getting obsessed with the idea, like what is the moment that, that like women, it's like they're hot, they're hot, they're hot. And then like, where is there like a, a graspable <laughs> second where they tip like a tipping point. And, um, we like, and I, we talked about it in the room and it made people laugh. And I think our casting, um, I think originally we were kind of trying to cast it with older actresses, um, who were more like in their, you know, 60s or 70s. Yeah. Were there other and, people that you were thinking of um, or going out to? Or I can't, I truly can't remember anymore. Um, but then we realized, and then we just, I think it was season three or whatever, um, took another swing in it and realized it might be better if we um, like find women who are kind of more like living that kind of moment. It's actually funnier if they're a little younger. If they're a little younger and kind of like, you know, feeling that, you know, obviously every wall, the older actresses we want to cast are all very beautiful, but just, you know, in terms of like, what if, is this feeling very like alive to you right now? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, yeah, I think the way it happened was Nicole health center, um, did some stuff for the show and she was able to, we wanted her to direct it and she was I. I think this was how it happened. And then she was able to kind of get it to, to Julia, um, to Julia Louis Dreyfus. And then after that fell into place, I think we got, we got the others. Yeah. Yeah, That it was, that was like a real achievement just in terms of like that day. Um, I mean, it spanned the creating of a life because when I, (laughs) when (laughs) I, uh, originally thought of it i believe i was single and by the time we shot it i was like six months pregnant oh wow <laughs> is it is it someone's birthday or oh <laughs> kind of the opposite we're celebrating julia's last fuckable day yes salute uh-huh. um, yeah. i'm sorry did you say julia's last fuckable day mm-hmm. what is that mm. In every actress's life, the media decides when you finally reach the point where you're not believably fuckable anymore. I mean, how do you know? Who tells you? Uh, Well, nobody nobody really overtly tells you, but there are signs. You you know how um, Sally Field was Tom Hanks' love interest in Punchline, and then like 20 minutes later, she was his mom in Forrest Gump? Or you might get offered a rom-com with Jack Nicholson where you're competing with another woman to fuck him. Or I just had an audition for Mrs. Claus. You're kidding me. I read for that part. I, I read for that too. You did? <laughs> hey, who got that? JLo. <gasps> oh, she'll be good. She's going to be really good. Really good. And was like, you know, we flew to LA to do it. And I remember we also were just so used to like, the way we shot that show was just so down and dirty, like early days of Comedy Central. Like we were always on location. It was always January, February in New York. I remember like sitting fully like in a, bathroom like on a keg and a bar like just that was so small and like just being like what are we we were just always under such kind of intense like conditions for tv and then when we went to la to shoot this sketch because we had these like a-listers involved i remember like me and amy texting like i think she got there first and she was like look trailers 
<laughs> and then we have like really great craft service. There was like a burrito station and we were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you pulled out all the stops for the, uh, yeah. for the actresses. Yeah. yeah. And like Tina Fey is here and it was, yeah. Patricia Arquette. It was crazy. Yeah. It's so, so good. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I could imagine. I I was wondering if they took much convincing to to get, but maybe once you get Julia on board, then the other ones uh, agreed. Or yeah, all the puzzle pieces. Nicole was really instrumental in it too. But yeah, it was it was just such a yeah. Well, it's an yeah. absolute classic of a sketch. So oh, I'm glad. Congrats. You, yeah. Thanks. Um, I know. So the, the show that show ended at a certain point, and then there was like no one knew whether it was coming back for a long time. And now it seems like there there are going to be new specials. Not really a new season, but something on Paramount Plus. Do you yes. know anything about this? Yes, yes, yes. I um I'm very excited to see how how it turns out. I was just um it's I believe it's I don't want to misspeak about it. I think it's five episodes, and it was kind of um. Yeah, uh, uh, the the current deal with Comedy Central that Amy has, and I just desperately wish I could have worked on it, but I was yeah. working on. Um, I love that for you with Vanessa, so it just didn't quite time out. But I, I kind, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I love Amy, and, It'll and be I kind of weird for you to just see it as a viewer, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some fun in that too. Sometimes where you're just you kind of get to see like how how things evolve. Yeah. Um, so I want to get to, I love that for you, but I do want to touch on Big Mouth first, which is just one of my favorites. And, um, Me you know, too. I've, I've talked to so many people from the show, um, on this podcast, including Nick. And, um, so you, you are not a writer on that show, right? You just, you're a, you're a voice actor. Um, no, I'm just a little show pony yeah. <laughs> that comes in and, uh, does my little character that they made ex almost exactly like who I really am so that I don't really have to act. <laughs> Yeah. Did they, was that part written uh, for you? I mean, it has your name obviously. And uh, she, as you said, she has a lot in common with you. So, um, yeah. I don't think, no, I, she, I, she's based on someone that Nick and Andrew went um, to uh, I, junior high or high school with. But um, I think when they were casting, I, do, I think just cause Nick and I are old pals and we used to do another live show together. They luckily for me thought of me and felt like this was within my performing reach. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, so that's how I ended up getting to do, to do Jesse Glazer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting with some of these longer running animated shows. Um, you know, I've talked to people from Bojack Horseman or Bob's Burgers. It's like, and this show, you, you end up playing the same character over many years in a way that you don't, you know, when you're doing other shows or sketch or, or something, yeah. you get to really kind of get to know this person, even if they are, you know, an animated character. So what has that been like for you to really, um, you know, get to play this, the same character for so long now? I mean, it's truly the most fun freaking thing in the world, because I mean, getting to just do, first of all, just animated voice work what a sweatpant covered blessing that yeah. is seems like this just, might be the best job in uh, show business uh, to just eat what you want and you roll in and disheveled as i like to do and uh you know you're in, in another i mean but aside from that i mean the show what nick and andrew and mark and jen and all the rest of the writers room have done with that show is just so gorgeously brilliant and funny and um that is another like look left, look right. Like who is around me? <laughs> like mm -hmm. kind of pretty sure I'm the weak link there, but just the level of talent that's doing it. There was like a moment. I can't remember which season is which, because you know, it's like, it takes so long and yeah, we're recording yeah. ones that are so far in the future from what's on. But 
I mean, the people, just in general, the cast, the regular cast, the Manzukas and just, I mean, you know, Mulaney, there, but, and, Mulaney yeah. and every everyone um, is so brilliant. And then there was a day where um, I was in there recording with like Sterling K. Brown. <laughs> it was like playing <laughs> you played your boyfriend. Yeah. boyfriend. And I have such a, I mean, just such a crush, physical talent, all of it, like just obsessed. And I was like, when they first told me like, oh yeah, we're thinking that's going to be Sterling K. Brown. I was like, are you? fucking with me <laughs> and that was just i mean he's uh, everything aside from my physical whatever's i mean just one of the greatest actors we have and then i again i'm like i have taken about six acting classes <laughs> and i don't mean six courses i yeah, mean I, individual I think, uh, individual <laughs> like a learning annex situation and i was just like oh and i mean he's just a dreamboat of a lovely man but yeah, the things I've gotten to do are just, I mean, Pamela Adlon, um, that is really a vault aside from the millions of lives lost in the pandemic. One of the saddest things to me is like that there are scenes with me and Pamela Adlon, who's truly one of my full heroes that we didn't get to record together. Yeah. Everything was kind of, uh, isolated, uh, during everything the pandemic, was kind yeah. of isolated. But, oh, and then, uh, but I mean, then also the moments with like Maya Rudolph talking. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask about that. Your scenes with her, you know, are incredible. What are you? I am the hormone monstrous. <laughs> if you're here to tell me how terrible being a woman is, the Statue of Liberty and my mom already covered that. The French are full of shit and your mother's a woman in decline. You're on the rise, girl. I am. But you'll have to make some changes, Dumplin'. For instance... What the fuck is this? It's my baseball mitt. Get rid! Hey! Listen to me! You wanna shoplift lipstick? You wanna listen to Lana Del Rey on repeat while you cut up all your t-shirts? You wanna scream at your mother and then laugh at her tears! But I don't wanna scream at my mom. She's not your mom anymore. From now on, you call her Shannon. You're very beautiful. I know. Why do you smell so good? Because I don't use deodorant and I only take bubble baths. We've had, I've been lucky enough to like do a lot with Maya where we were together, mm -hmm. together in the studio. And I just, I'm just kind of always awestruck and really struggling to be in the moment because I mean, is there a more perfect unicorn in this world than Maya Rudolph? Probably not. Yeah, and and playing that character of the hormone monstrous, it seems like it was just made for her, and she's so fabulous. She's so fabulous, but I mean, to kind of get back to your, I mean, for me, just getting to go plug into like the puberty feelings and like get to kind of try and tap back into like the teenagerishness of it all, or the twee, I guess, the teenagerness, teenagerishness. <laughs> I'm really stroking out. Uh, <laughs> that is so fun to do and also feels very it's like a real release for me because I I think I still really feel so many of those same feelings now like as a mother and a 40 something person not I'm 46 so I really still feel like there's like a second puberty I've been in of like becoming this other thing you know, and getting to like, it feels like Jesse ends up screaming a lot. That's kind of like a lot of primal screaming that happen. Um, and that is, yeah, it's truly 
it's a cliche to say, but it's like such a gift. Do you think about if and when you might show the show Big Mouth to your kid? You know, it's so funny. Someone was just asking me about that. Uh, and I hadn't even, I have friends who um, have told me they watch it with their teen tween kids. And on the one hand, I'm like very, it's so satisfying to hear because it's such a, it is yeah, such a beautiful it seems so show. so valuable to that and, age to see it in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, so many like necessary hard conversations could kind of be bridged by watching it together. And yet... <laughs> Like I could, I could not watch that with my parents then or now. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I, I don't know. I'll have to cry. I'll have to cross the bridge when I come to it. Ha- I would love for him to watch it on his own when he's old enough. And if he wants me to watch, I will. But I mean, just so much come. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so insane. much masturbation. So much. I think Jesse Glazer masturbating. Yeah, it's a lot to to, yeah, to see your, to see your mom. He like might. That. We might need yeah. to have separate rooms. So let's talk about I Love That For You, which I got just got to see the first couple of episodes and really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's so good. Um, and Vanessa Bayer, unbelievable. Uh, unbel- and it's unbelievable. so great to see her have a vehicle like this. Um, I know. This has been such a truly special experience um, just because the people involved are just so brilliant. And I mean, I remember, like, I truly remember the first time I saw Vanessa on SNL. I did not know her personally, but I, I, and I think she started like right after I left. I was going to ask if you overlapped, but I guess not. Yeah. I think she may have started the year or maybe the second year after I left. Anyway, I truly was just, I was like, this is one of the funniest people I've ever seen. Like everything about her style of humor, her vibe as a performer. I, it just, do you remember what it was, the sketch or the bit that uh, got you? Oh, this is another, yeah. No, I mean, rack your memory. No, no, no. I mean, I know there was (laughs) one specifically, I don't know if it was like the first thing I ever saw her in, but she does. I do remember this is like one of those ones where like, you know, you have like a sketch that you just show to people over and over whenever you have like a moment (laughs) of like, let's look at videos. She does this character that's like child actor (laughs) that like destroyed me so completely. And anytime I watch it over, I... I am destroyed anew where she just plays like what a child actor sounds. Like. That one in the and the bar mitzvah boy got me. Yeah, yeah. But just even like it was just she's just one of those people where like she's so just inherently kind of like askew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yes. in a, in the best way and also has this real like just leads with this like sweetness mm-hmm. and kindness which I'm very into uh you know, it's like never in any way mean spirited and kind of the opposite. But then there is also like a little something a little off, <laughs> something a little off. I remember also loving um, the thing that she would do on update, I believe with Fred, where they would play like friends who were kind of trying to like not talk shit about someone. And then they'd be like, doesn't she do the thing like that? Also, That's I thought it was like yeah. so real and so funny anyway. So yeah, just so lucky to be working with her. So how did you two connect for this? Well, so I knew, I, I guess I, I met her around just around. And then when my first book was coming out, she, we got paired, like I was doing some little event for, uh, 
Refinery29 and I needed to do it with like a Q&A person. And I think I was like, how about Van- would Vanessa do it? And so we met doing this little thing and just, it was so fun to sit and talk to her. Um, and we like went out to dinner afterwards and so kind of made a connection with her there and then tried not to dork out too hard. And then the other co-creator of the show, Jeremy Byler, um, is someone who I had worked on um, inside Amy Schumer with and was one of our writers who just always thought was just so brilliant and so funny. And he and Vanessa created this and pretty early on they needed a showrunner partner to kind of develop it with. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I think both of these people are full geniuses and delights and what more could I ask for in terms of something to dive into? Yeah. I mean, I think the show does an incredible job of channeling that very specific kind of awkward energy that she's able to to do. Well, I hail from Cleveland, the birthplace of rock and roll. (laughs) And if you're looking for, you know, a really good friend who um, also is very professional, honestly, and um, loves her job, you know, she's she's a working, uh, she's a working girl and whatever, then you should just call, call me up because I love, I love working and I love, I love to party within reason. And so, yeah, you know who to call for, woo, as a, as a friend and coworker of a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> you set up this very um, big challenge for the show and her character in the fact that she's pretending to have cancer again, which is not the you know most sympathetic thing to do. Um, but then you know we really do. I feel like you know empathize with her character. Um, so was that something that you talked a lot about and sort of how to make her a you know sympathetic protagonist while also pretending to have cancer? Um, you know, I mean, we certainly did. I think in a sort of deeper way like what i remember spending i mean again it's been like a lot of years in development so we've really talked about every aspect of it but what i remember really trying to get i was like what is this lie really about you know like in this story like what are we really saying about like why what is the need like what is the thing that is making her tell the lie i think was kind of for me like one of the biggest concerns versus like making her likable. Yeah. The whole, um, li- the whole likable thing is, has a lot of baggage too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I kind of can't wait for the day that like likability is not something we really need to like get into pretzels over, especially talking about female protagonists because is it, yeah. Is I it mean, something, have I mean, you ever heard of a little show called the Sopranos? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, that, just, that's the yeah. whole thing is that men on TV are allowed to be monsters and women have to be likable, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, we sort of instinctively know, I mean, you know, it's like Breaking Bad, Sopranos, even like Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. We're just going to like, we're going to like them because we're going to enjoy this show. And, um, and these are amazing performers and Vanessa is kind of likable no matter what she does. That was was my experience of it. Yeah. She, she's just, it's part of like why, it's so amazing she has a show because she's just such a she's such an incredible performer but i think like the complications of her behavior i think in some ways what we talked about more was sometimes like allowing her to be a little bit not not thinking of it not allowing her to be more unlikable but in some ways to kind of push her behavior in more unlikable directions at times because that's what makes it interesting and i think vanessa is so inherently sweet 
and funny and nice that we allowed ourselves like there were a few moments where we're like, well, we kind of should actually have her do something where her am- her ambition is like a little more naked here or seeing her make the quote unquote, not moral, you know, or the selfish choice is actually would help us here. Yeah. It's funny. It's like a, it, thinking about her in relation to, it doesn't feel like she's close to Larry David at all in the sense that she's trying to be liked Yeah, basically the whole time. Right. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that is that, that is, I think the thing. And it's, I think like, you know, Vanessa is tr- such a sort of peace loving, sweet human <laughs> who it, it, it just like her essence, I think has, has this nice balance of she's so truly like just one of the kindest, sweetest people I've ever met. And yet I'm not going to undo not It's not a, but, but it's an, and yet I think sometimes she just, it's disarming like that. She, she is very, she is ambitious in a good way. Like I think sometimes she is very, very driven and very determined in a way that you might not kind of fully get at first glance just because she's she's just so kind of casual and sweet yeah or she could be un- she could be underestimated she can be underestimated which was a lot of what we talked about kind of with her real life and this character you know she talked a lot of when we were going kind of just building it all about like that that was one of her things in recovering from cancer as a young person was like not wanting to be underestimated you know, and people kind of being willing, it was, it was what was fun and interesting about it. Cause on the one hand, being given a pass and like having people take it easy on her and not making her do things is so delightful <laughs> for her. I think that's part of what's fun about the show is like, we all kind of would love to take the easy way out of things. Like who doesn't relate to trying to do less <laughs> and getting more. Um, and at the same time, there is a part of her that, that doesn't want to be underestimated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our final segment here, um, I know you have a, a new book, and I really loved the excerpt uh, that you just had in the New Yorker uh, as oh, well. Thanks. Um, is there anything that you just want to uh, tell people about the the new book? Um. Um. Sure. Yeah. Um. The new book. It's funny because it's the book. The fact that the book and the show are coming out within like two days of each other yeah. is such a, a lot. A COVID-driven uh, kind of random accident of life, and it makes it seem like I'm way more prolific than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been working on both of these for years and years. Um, but the book is called "I'll Show Myself Out: um, Essays on Midlife and Motherhood," and um, yeah, it's kind of a collection of humorous essays, like the first book was, but just dealing more with um, the experience of you know being a mom, becoming a mom in my in my forties and kind of always feeling like, um, you know, in the world of being underestimated, just that, uh, tying it back to that, like that motherhood, I feel like in our culture is always kind of seen as like a, who cares? Like we kind of (laughs) pretend to care, but then like no one wants to hear about the details Yeah, (laughs) and no one takes it seriously, even though, um, it's incredibly hard. Um, and so I just wrote this collection of essays that kind of talks about motherhood as like a hero's journey. And can we talk about this? Like, like it's something that really is worthy of being a story that, that is worth listening to. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so our final segment on the show is called the first laugh. So I'm going to run through some firsts in your, uh, career and life, uh, around comedy and hopefully we can get some, some quick answers before we go. Okay. I'll try and be very, very quick. It doesn't have to be that quick, but you know, Okay, I mean. I'll try and be quicker than I've been. Uh, so starting all the way back, do you remember the first piece of comedy or one of the first that really made you laugh as a kid? 
Um, the Marx Brothers, Groucho Marx. I know that Judd, Judd and I share this in common. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was very obsessed with the Marx Brothers, watched all of those movies, read all of their autobiographies. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You went deep. I went deep, did a book. Yeah, Groucho, uh, Groucho's Harpo is still love them, obsessed. Do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? I think I was, I think I wrote about this in the first book. There's a specific moment. I was a very sort of nerdy, friendless child in high school. <laughs> well, I mean, I had, I, I had made some friends, but I could not make a friend in the high school I was in. But, um, and there were these cool girls. I was in a painting class and the cool girls like never really talked to me. And even though we were painting next to each other for two hours a week anyway. And then one day with one of the cool girls, like kind of deigned to talk to me for a while. I, I'm making them sound like they were jerks. They were probably so nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the, I remember she turned to me, she's like, you know, you're funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I Dina <laughs> thought I was funny. Well, then I guess I am. Do you, do you know why she thought you were funny? Because I was killing Matt. <laughs> I was killing in the painting club. No, I, I mean, it was really, it was my only tool. I was, uh, I was a little ugly duckling of a gal and I had braces, glasses situation. And, uh, I, that was what I was leaning on when I was, <laughs> when I was called upon to talk. She, she listened long enough to approve of my, my jokes. When did you first, uh, perform stand up and how did it go? Um, I first perform, performed stand up when I was 26, which is pretty old. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, it's like hearing about someone being like a, a gymnast and not starting till they're 13, <laughs> um, which is right when they should be peaking. But, um, I did, uh, an open mic at a now defunct place in New York called surf reality that was run by a woman, uh, who wore elf ears and you had to pay <laughs> to perform. <laughs> so it was set up for success. So you have to really want it. Yeah. And you really have to want it. Uh, and I did well, I did well. I, I did well enough to continue. I think if I hadn't done well that first time, I probably would have bagged it. Yeah. I think that that's what many, many stand-up comedians share as a successful first time out. Success. Oh yeah. And a full tank times two and three. Yep. 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 Do you have a story or a memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? <laughs> oh man. I feel like it's like most of it. It's <laughs> um, everything. Oh gosh. Um, there are so many moments. I, I feel like, you know, I'm trying to think of a good one. I feel like I did a show early on. You just got offered such insane things to do and mm -hmm. you just sort of say yes to all of them. And this Orthodox Jewish couple reached out to me that they did these like salons, you know, in their <laughs> apartment and, um, and that they had like lots of people go. <laughs> and I should come do stand up. Like they, and anyway, I was like, okay. And they were going to pay me like a, you know, a hundred bucks. And I usually perform for free. So I was like, okay. All right, yeah. <laughs> and then I got there and it just was a real light showing. <laughs> and so it was like me, them, and like four of their friends in this apartment. And I, despite being, I'm allowed to say, I mean, I'm also Jewish and I, I, but I'm not orthodox. I didn't, I walked in and I went to shake the the husband's hand yeah, and you're not, not supposed okay, to do yeah. that. I, I, anyway, it was, I just schwitzed for an hour <laughs> and left. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, Not supposed had, to take the Lord's name in vain either. Yeah, but you had a hundred bucks, so that was pretty good. I had a hundred bucks. Do you have a story or memory about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes? <sighs> a good story. Um, it doesn't have to be a good story, but just something that just you remember. Just meeting. About. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of moments of like 
you know, first time I met Tina Fey, I was like, oh my God, it's Tina Fey uh, being in the studio with Maya. Oh my God, Maya. Um, you know, I'll tell, can I tell a story about Molly Shannon? Oh, please. Because yeah, we, haven't, her, we, we should have mentioned her by now. But yeah. We well, yeah. just because also she has a book out now and also she's obviously, and I love that for you and yeah. just so brilliant. And it's just like a story I kind of want the world to hear, which is that, please, yeah. um, so my year in SNL, uh, I was there for the show that, um, Betty White did. Oh, may, yeah. may her memory be a blessing. Uh, for Mother's Day. That was Day. a big one, yeah. It was a big one. Um, and it was the Mother's Day show. And so, like, a lot of the, like, classic SNL ladies came back and they had Maya and Molly and Tina. And anyway, it was, like, a big thing. And my mom, I brought my mom to the show because my mom is, like, a big SNL comedy fan. And, you know, I love my mom. My mom's very much a mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but she was so excited. And she loves Molly Shannon. And then I, I asked my mom, I was like, do you want to come to the after party? She probably doesn't because my mom is, you know, quite old, (laughs) but she was like, Oh yeah, it's quite late. I mean, the show's till one. I'm like, this is like an out till three situation. She's like, Oh yes, I would love to go. Yeah. Can't say no to that. (laughs) Can't say no to that. This will be worth the time. We'll cut other things out. I said to make time. Anyway, (laughs) I take my mom to the after party at this restaurant and I, I'm like, mom, just know that you like, don't bother people. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, there's, be cool. there's celebrities everywhere at these parties. Yeah, just I be mean, cool. Yeah. Just be cool. And I was like, yeah, of course I'll be cool. So then uh, we're there and Molly Shannon is, and I'd had like a lovely week. I got to meet Molly Shannon. She's just such a sweetheart, you know? And then Molly Shannon's walking by my table with my mom and she's just walking in. She's just done a show. She's like, hasn't had a drink or a sip yeah. of water. And my mom like grabs my <laughs> and we're And I was like, mom. And she was like, can I get a picture? <laughs> and Molly Shane was like, oh my God, absolutely. She's like, do you mind if I just go put my bag down, just get a drink? And I was, and she's like, totally. I was like, mom, I was so mad. And then Molly gets swept up. And then I, at some point I was like, mom, you gotta go home. It's just so late. And we just didn't get a chance. Cut to a year later, I'm in San Francisco. And I'm doing this live reading of Wet Hot American Summer, uh, some festival, and Molly Shannon is there. And I haven't spoken or seen Molly Shannon in that at least a year. And then I get into a room with her. And again, we didn't know each other. We just had interacted a few times that weekend. I see Molly. She comes up to me. She grabs my arm. She goes, Jesse, I never got that photo (laughs) for your mom. She's like, I feel so bad. She's like, we've got to get, like, she she just remembered it. And she felt, she was like, I just lost track of you guys. And she seemed so sweet. And I, it was just, I was like, you are the, and then to get to work with her on the show where her performance is just so incredible. And I just think of that with her all the time that that's who she is. Finally, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out other comedy, other comedians that are making them laugh right now. So do you have anyone that you want to shout out or shows, or I know it's a lot of pressure, but um, anything that, that you could think of that has made you laugh recently? Sure. I mean, I'll just reel off the quickies. I mean, Amy Schumer's new show, Life and Beth, is so great. So good. Um, Bridget Everett's show, Somebody Somewhere, is so great. Um, and Pamela Adlon is in the last season of Better Things, which is just... The best. It's it's It has, like, it honestly got me through the pandemic. I watched the entire series. I yeah. It makes me cry. It makes me laugh. I love it so much. And I, I mean, a million others. Yeah, but those are three great, great recommendations. Yeah. 
love them all. Jesse, thank you so much. This was so much fun to get to meet you and oh talk to you. And, um, and I've just been following you from way back in the, uh, to the punch up your life days. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you told me that. Thank you for having me. This is so thank fun. You. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Cool. All right. I want to thank Jesse Klein so much for taking the time to talk with me for this episode. I Love That For You is currently available on Showtime's streaming platform with new episodes airing Sunday nights at 8.30 p.m. on Showtime. And Jesse's new book, I'll Show Myself Out, Essays on Midlife and Motherhood, is also out now and we'll put a link to buy it in the description for this episode. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.